Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to the War on Cancer podcast. This podcast's aim is to answer the many and different questions about life with or after cancer that we have encountered during the past five years working with the War on Cancer app, a social network for everyone who's got their lives touched by cancer. Our vision, to radically improve the mental health of everyone affected by cancer. The pod is hosted by myself, Sebastian Hermelin, together with my best friend, cancer survivor and co-founder, Fabian Bolin. Hello. In this season, we will invite one international expert guest per episode, covering topics such as mental health, nutrition, exercise, psychology, and also survivorship. And we hope to answer many other questions that we've not only had ourselves, but that we've received during the past couple of years. In today's episode, we'll share our background story and the events that led up to Fabian's cancer diagnosis and resulted in both of our 180 degree pivots in life. From working in banking, to fighting for survival, to building a company with the aim to help more than 47 million people currently under treatment and the more than 22 million people that gets diagnosed every single year. We're well on our way of doing just that, but let's tell the story of how we got here before we dive into details. So Fabian, are you excited? I am very excited uh, and also a bit nervous at the same time. I think it's because we've been talking about doing this podcast for a long time now and uh, we're finally here. I hope that this this first season will be a uh, help to our listeners and that we can come up with some new angles and perspectives of cancer that hasn't been covered in the past. Yeah, we're really stepping out on a limb here, so let's make it count. Fabian, can you briefly describe who you are and perhaps more importantly, who you were before you got diagnosed and how that whole situation played out? 
Sure. I guess, first of all, my name is Fabian, obviously, and uh, I'm 32 years old, and I was born and raised in Stockholm, Sweden. But to the question of who I were, because right now I am very much ingrained into war on cancer and uh, the mission that we're currently on. But that wasn't always the case. And we're going to have to rewind the clock back to five years ago. And honestly, it feels like looking at a different person and a different life. I was at the time living in London and it was my fourth year in that vibrant city. I first came there after a couple of years in business school to start working in investment banking. A career that took off uh, pretty well, I think. I, uh, I found it fascinating and uh, somewhat cool to work in uh, the finance industry. Uh, very fast-paced, very sort of dynamic. A lot of responsibility for being so young. I was 24. Uh, yeah, I came there in February 2012. So. 24 at the time and you know i liked it uh the first few years i saw myself as a diehard banker but somewhere along the line i think it was two years into it i started to feel differently about it i realized that i wasn't being true to myself and that i wasn't following my passion because i didn't, didn't really feel that sense of passion and purpose for my work that i think i needed or that i know that i need so I started thinking about a, a career choice, and I made a pretty drastic one into the London film industry. So you became an actor? I became an actor. Uh, might seem like a complete career shift, but there's some reasoning behind it. My parents both worked in the creative arts or have worked there their whole lives. So my mother used to work at the Royal Dramatic Theatre in Stockholm. And my dad was an opera singer, so I have been raised in that environment. And I guess I was a black sheep wanting to become an entrepreneur or build a business. But I decided that I'm going to try this out. And I jumped on a one-year film acting course in London whilst at the same time working away in banking. So I, I worked long hours during the weekdays. In the evenings, I tried to do extra work in sort of small roles in small film projects. And during weekends, I had drama school, quite intense. But I finally left the, the banking career in uh, March 2014. And I was then on my way to uh, my new life as an actor. Cool. Yeah. And uh, around this time, or shortly thereafter, you joined me, didn't you? Uh, I did, I did. How did Mr. Sebastian end up in London? Wow, that's a, it's a tricky question. First of all, background. My name is Sebastian. I come from Stockholm, Sweden. I studied the Royal Institute of Technology, which sounds way fancier than it is, although it was a great education. Uh, so I studied basically math for five years. Uh, I was not really affected by all of the intense employee branding that we also experienced, but instead, after five years of studying math, I went to the casino and I played poker semi-professionally, uh, if you would ask me. Most of my friends would say semi-amateurish, uh, but I put bread on the table for about six months and I liked the psychology behind trying to beat other people around the table. However, I grew tired of uh, going to the casino every day and I started working in sales and marketing and I was sort of successful in that space, although I have to admit I was lazy, so I could have been better. And um, two years into that, 
things changed. My uh, relationship with a girl broke up. She broke up with me. But I think it was a good thing because I realized I needed some some proper change in my life. So what did I do? I called my best friend Fabian. Uh, you answered, and I told you. I think I told you like I need a vacation. I need I need a weekend in London at some point. And you said, why not come over this weekend? So I did, and we had uh, we had a party weekend basically. I needed to let go, and uh, it's quite an, an amazing experience. I met so many of your friends, amongst them Rasmus, Jacob, and Sebastian. And uh, Rasmus, your old friend, we clicked, and he gave me a job on the spot. So I moved to London one year after. And I didn't move to my own flat, but instead I moved in with you because you were a successful actor, but also a struggling actor. So you could you could use the sort of uh, the extra add of cash by me <laughs> living in your room. Some wonderful memories. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I guess I'll I'll pick up the thread from here uh, because this was in now during the spring of 2015. And as you said first year or so had been quite struggling, but the career managed to pick up, started to land sort of better roles in larger productions. And um, I was lucky to be cast in a US feature film, which enabled me to apply for a US visa. And I remember when I walked out with my new visa stamp in the passport, I felt, wow, everything is possible. You can really achieve your dreams as long as you really execute and go for it. But it was around this time I started feeling tired. Early May 2015. And initially I thought it was related to stress. You know, London's life in general. I hadn't really taken a, a single day of vacation since I started working in acting. Uh, and I figured I needed some rest. And, and luckily, I had a flight to Stockholm about a month later to visit my parents over the summer. So I did nothing for, or that's a lie. We partied uh, quite a lot during the, that last month because I knew that I was not going to move back to London. It was a one month going away party. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which, of course, helps me to somewhat ignore the symptoms that I felt. But on the very day that I uh, woke up to fly back to Stockholm, I had a massive pain in my chest area, and that made it troublesome for me to breathe. Um, I flew to Stockholm, and I met my parents and told them right away, look, I'm struggling to breathe. We need to see a doctor. So we went to the A&E, and I got there. I got scanned, and two days later, I was diagnosed. And how did that happen? Who, who told you that you had cancer? It was sort of a step-by-step -step progress for me. Firstly, I was scanned, and a nurse came to me shortly thereafter and told me that they had identified an anomaly in my chest area. I asked them, what does that mean? It's like the X-Files. Yeah, exactly, like an alien growing. Uh, I asked them what it meant, and, and uh, they said they weren't allowed to tell me, but I figured something was really wrong. Then, a couple of hours later, once they had received more results from the scan, a doctor came to me and said, We're, you're probably looking at a benign form of lymphoma, which is a very good form of cancer. So I was like, receiving a cancer diagnosis, but this doctor was so skilled at, at sort of delivering the message that I was sort of like, I was quite calm about it. I was like, okay, that sucks, but it seems okay. But then about 10 hours later, I was moved to another hospital. And I was met with two new doctors who said, well, we have all the results now from the scan. You have been diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And for those who do not know what that is? It is an aggressive form of blood cancer. The blood cancer stems from uh, your bone marrow. So your bone marrow starts to produce cancer just, uh, carcinogenic cells. 
And um, yeah, so it was in my whole blood system, basically. And what did they tell you? What was the outlook? I just want to go back to just before they told me about the outlook, because I had a moment to really think and contemplate about the news of my diagnosis. And I remember experiencing one of the most peaceful moments of my life. It was as if someone told me, well, probably myself, you don't have to fight anymore. You can just accept this. You have a couple of months left to live. There's nothing else you have to do. And I remember embracing it. You embrace it. How, how come? I've pondered a lot about this experience and uh, I've come to realize, and I know now from a few years of therapy, that I was definitely not a happy person back then. My life in London, my life working as an actor was definitely not a healthy one. Definitely not healthy because even though I considered myself a sort of relatively successful actor, I never really had a passion for the arts. So a quick question on that. Did you become an actor for the right reasons, do you think? I didn't. I did it for attention. Okay. I, I needed attention. Uh, I felt a need for fame more than a need for actually creating arts, and, okay. which is I, what I think a lot of actors are struggling with, uh, artists. To, there's always that balance. Is it for attention or is it for the love of arts? I was definitely in the attention field and it made me a disconnected person so what i think about this moment is that it was myself actually i don't necessarily think that i had that much will to live at a subconscious level and that's why i reacted the way i did but you were not suicidal i wasn't suicidal at all because at a conscious level i was i thought i was happy yeah. this might sound complex but hopefully you'll you'll understand throughout the the story how it, the cancer is helping to change And now to the outlook, what did they tell you when you were diagnosed? They told me that I had a 60 to 70% chance of survival because I was put on a clinical trial called NOFO08, which is a trial in, in which they treated everybody up to 30 as if they were kids. Which means that they gave you more chemotherapy. More chemotherapy because kids naturally have the highest cell regeneration of all, much more so than, than adults. So, But they realized that uh, once they try to do that at adults, they increase survival rates a lot. Okay. So I was rocked out of this peaceful moment and back into reality. And the first thing that I came to my mind was what's going to happen with my career? Everything that I've worked for because I was told that the treatment would take 900 days. 900? Is it two, two and a half years? Two and a half years of chemotherapy straight. It was the most traumatizing thing I've ever experienced, much more so than, than hearing the news of my cancer, because you probably figure out that I was a diehard careerist. So for me, I identified as my career. And to see that go felt like I was dying. So I had a ton of questions that I needed answers to. And I think this was around the time when I sent you guys a text message in the WhatsApp group, wasn't it? Yeah, I remember that day like it was yesterday. I was with my boss and friend Rasmus. We went to Wimbledon on a normal working day. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that happened. Um, and uh, we were watching women's doubles. We're both diehard fans of tennis. So 
I remember my my phone buzzing in my front pocket, and um, yeah, you, I think you sent the message to our group WhatsApp, and you basically stated, "Hey guys, I got some bad news. Uh, I just received information that I've got leukemia, which is blood cancer." Uh, dot dot dot, and then you said, "I'll talk to you guys later." And I remember the feeling. I Jesus, I thought that you were. I thought that my best friend was going to die, and I almost puked on the people on the front row. But me and Rasmus, we went out the Wimbledon gates, and if I remember correctly, we gave you a call. You were quite positive, to be honest, but we struggled more with with the news than I think you did at first. I don't know why. Well, I can't honestly remember us having a call or having that call, but I think. I was pretty. I was probably in a shock state because there's so many many things around the day of my diagnosis that I can't remember. The few weeks before, as well as a couple of weeks after, yeah. are quite blurry for me. I probably think, a shock, right? Probably. Well, how how long did it take before they put you on chemo, like your treatment? It was probably the day after because. And this is something we never talk about, but you were in Stockholm like the same day, weren't you? Like you came to Stockholm. I came to Stockholm. It was summer. It was summer. Yeah. It was like one week after, I think. No, 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 it wasn't it because you came to Stockholm the day after I've been diagnosed. Yeah, but that was planned beforehand. I yeah. didn't come to Stockholm because of your diagnosis. I no. was there and I remember we had a beer. Yeah. We did. Before you went in, you had just uh, installed your uh, portacath to get the intravenous drugs or the chemotherapy. And we had a beer and saying... It was the last night of celebration. We were laughing it off like this might be the last beer, which was really, really sad in a way. But we had a smile on our faces still. Yeah, I think I wasn't able to really grasp what I was embarking on. Honestly, also, I had, I, I felt, and we will, of course, need to cover this, but I had just made the first Facebook post on that day. So before the Facebook post, I mean, I was pretty positive because the, the moment I heard 60 to 70% chance of surviving, it's, I made up my mind that I was going to be one of those 60 to 70%. You're a very positive person. Let's, uh, that is uh, very clear. But uh, what, what happened? What, what did you do? You did something very interesting when you got diagnosed. So what happened and why did you start with that? Well, it came as a consequence of me not being able to get my answers from the healthcare. So naturally, I had a ton of questions that I needed answers to. They were not so much surrounding kind of the cancer treatments, but more so about life with cancer. I mean, what does life with cancer look like, really? What happens when you have cancer? I didn't know anyone that had, had, I mean, hadn't really spoken to anyone with cancer before uh, in that sense. So... I started shooting out questions to my uh, sort of healthcare professionals around me. I also asked specifically about diet, exercise, and other things that you could do to to increase chances of surviving and energy levels because I was determined to try and live my life to the fullest. When asking those questions to doctors around me, I first got in touch with their inability to address the human needs or see the human behind the cancer patients. And I, I was met with a general unwillingness to talk to me. Um, I was met with several vague answers, answers such as, you know, Fabian, eat whatever makes you happy. And to hear something like that in that situation felt belittling because, frankly, you don't even say that to a healthy person. So why do you say that to someone who does not? And what happens if you like whiskey and ice cream? Exactly. Whiskey, ice cream and vodka. Uh, I probably would not have survived. So... 
it's uh, it's a bit weird that they um, they say that to patients. But luckily, we have an episode on diets further down the line in this podcast, so we'll talk more about that. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film. If only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But I understood that I was not going to be able to get my answers from uh, the healthcare, so my strategy then became social media. I wrote a post on Facebook where I explained the situation and I asked if people could help me find someone in, you know, in the same situation by sharing. I hit publish and what happened afterwards changed my life, much more so than actually receiving the news of the diagnosis because this post was shared 13,000 times over the course of 24 hours. Wow. Certainly, wow. Um, a lot of people talk about being diagnosed as life-changing, which it was, but for me, this was more life-changing because literally thousands and thousands of people from all over the world sent their love and support back to me. It felt as if I could touch upon the amount of energy that was being directed to me in that moment. It felt as if the, the air in the room that I was sitting got thicker. That was my experience, and it's a, it's a real experience. Loads of personal stories started pouring in, not just from strangers, but also from close friends, people that I've known for years that suddenly opened up to me saying, well, you know what, I've been through this or I've gone through cancer or my sister's gone through cancer. And what I mostly noticed above all was gratefulness. Almost everybody that wrote to me started with the line, thank you for sharing or thank you for being brave enough to share this openly. I'm going through what you're going through. And just so you know, this is helping. And that led me to experience for the first time in my life altruistic happiness. The happiness generated from knowing that you're helping others. Uh, so in that kind of weird 
situation. I was in a hospital or patient gown in Stockholm. I felt a surge of happiness just exploding within me. And that happiness combined with this new knowledge that there's a massive need for stories about cancer. I made up my mind to share my entire journey through cancer in a blog. And the blog was called Fabian Bolin's War on Cancer. And that became quite big, quite fast. It did for uh, a few reasons. I mean, the, the once, once because the first post got viral, it was picked up by the media. Yeah. And I found myself, whilst simultaneously doing chemotherapy every day, getting more and more you know, destroyed from all the drugs and tablets that I was on. I found myself in talks with news anchors, journalists, and radio shows, which became a massive distraction for me. It's quite intense. I remember that time, yeah. Yeah, very much so. And th- this blog, I mean, for me, this it became my savior from a mental health point of view. And it, it's you know, it really made me understand the power of stories. And what is the power of stories? Storytelling is probably the thing that humans have sort of gathered around from the very kind of early days of, of mankind. But the power of stories for me was, first of all, I found sharing so therapeutic. I mean, going through cancer was by far the most intense and chaotic thing I've ever experienced. Back and forth to the hospital every day. I spoke on the phone with numerous different doctors that gave me complex advice and instructions. And my parents were all over the place trying to sort of like kind of make their way around this whole new situation we were in. And the blog became a a way for me to vent all of that. I could talk openly, truthfully about my emotions, my fears, my my feelings. Um, And it became a way for me to in real time process that trauma that I was experiencing. Uh, Secondly, sharing helped me to normalize the situation around me so that at least what I experienced, my friends and family and everybody that read the blog, they got a much more sort of casual understanding and attitude towards cancer. Yeah, I remember I didn't read your blog from the very beginning. And I I decided actually not to read it because uh, I was under the impression that I knew what you were going through. And the only thing I associated cancer with was death. And I thought that you were going to die. So I actually avoided reading that blog. And I can honestly say that it wasn't until I started reading your thought process in that blog that I realized that one of the most critical things and important things for you was to be treated as Fabian the person and my best friend and not as Fabian the victim or the patient. And you were honestly by far the one person of my friends that was the best at dealing with this whole thing, you quickly understood that I didn't want to be treated like a victim. And I remember once you started reading this blog, I mean, remember how it changed to it, it almost felt like we were, I didn't have cancer whenever we spoke. And that was a truly helpful support. We were talking about what we we're going to do afterwards. I yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to hear what was going on in London. In London, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, okay, so it, it was therapeutic in a sense. Yeah. It helped normalize the situation and anything else. It was a powerful distraction. 
Uh, this might sound a bit weird, but it became almost like a job for me. It became a reason for me to get up each morning, and I felt the sense of purpose by doing so. This notion that my story was helping others in their journeys is what I think by far had the most positive impact on my mental health. This blog, around its peak, had about 200,000 monthly readers, many of them, of course, affected by cancer themselves. And I can honestly say that I've never in my life experienced a bigger sense of purpose or meaning. Almost felt as if cancer was a life mission for me, in a way. For each blog post that I wrote, I received hundreds of messages back from people that shared with me about their experiences and also thanked me for sharing. And that, for me, created this sense of this is my reason for getting cancer and this is my life's mission. And I remember pretty quickly experiencing a form of gratefulness towards being diagnosed. A couple of months in, I started feeling thankful for the leukemia. And I remember saying this to my mother, who I don't think she agreed as much as I <laughs> about being happy about the cancer, but she understood. And it was around this time that a vision formed in my mind, a vision about create something out of this. And this is when I contacted you. Yeah. And you you called me. We, we spoke on the phone pretty much every day throughout the first three months of chemotherapy. And you called me and you said, I have an idea. I want you to come over to Sweden. And uh, I think to this day, this is still the reason why you think that I came. But the reason for me flying over to Stockholm to see you was because I had looked at pictures of you and I spoke to you and you looked like you were basically skin and bones. And I thought it might be the last time I would see you alive. But I went to Stockholm. You didn't want to <laughs> be at home because you lived with your mother. So we, we said we were going to meet at a local coffee shop. And I met you there. And I remember standing in the queue ordering two cups of black coffee because We've always made a thing, you have always made a thing out of drinking black coffee. I like coffee with milk, but you've always said milk is for wimps. So I decided to order two black coffees and Swedish coffee is quite strong. And I remember that was the first time that I saw you in like three months after your diagnosis. I went over to him and I remember looking at him and saying like, oh, thinking to myself, I don't know if he can take the heat. I don't know if he can take, not the heat, but the, the, the caffeine, because he looked so pale and under the weather. But when I, when I came there, I asked him, like, are you okay with this? And I remember Fabian looking at me and saying, I look like shit and I feel like shit, so certainly a cup of coffee won't hurt that much. <laughs> and that sort of broke the ice. And we spoke about cancer, a lot of different topics. Why does it happen to people? Uh, how does it differ from different people receiving their diagnosis, etc.? Obviously, very tricky questions, which none of us had any answers to. But then all of a sudden, his eyes lit up and he said, I have this idea. And I don't remember if we could conceptualize the idea back then. But basically what you said was that... I am experiencing one of the happiest times of my life, which is very unlogical because you were undergoing like heavy chemotherapy treatment for your cancer. And I remember just acknowledging that and I saw in your eyes that you were happy. And I realized that by sharing your story online, I was also able to become a better friend because I understood what you needed. And around this time, 
or during this time, we conceptualized the first idea of War on Cancer, which was a blog platform where we invited anyone and everyone going through cancer to share their story. And our first vision was to create a library of cancer stories for the benefit of other cancer patients. And the name, where did we get the name from? From my blog. Yeah. It felt quite natural to kind of continue on. And, and I mean, what I felt and what you portrayed so nicely is I, I felt I just wanted to make other people feel the way that I felt because I was I was walking on clouds during this time. I was feeling this sense of happiness, the sense of purpose, meaning and, and gratefulness towards being diagnosed. And I, I felt that imagine if we can build something that makes other people experience what I'm feeling. Uh, imagine if this can become a tool on a global level that can help people in, with their mental health when they go through cancer. And we did. So I went back to London. I continued my work in finance. But during the nights, we spoke on the phone probably four or five hours every night discussing how we could make more people experience what we experienced. Yeah. And we came to the conclusion that we should just create something as simple as a blog portal dedicated to cancer stories. Yeah, I mean, it was a natural sort of first step. And that was the first version of the War on Cancer platform, waroncancer.com. And it was a free blog portal, which allowed everybody to sign up and start sharing their stories. And within a couple of weeks of launching that platform, we had registered users who covered, what was it, 35 forms of cancer? From 20 countries. Yeah. Yeah, and I just quickly remember, we were invited because of this simple fact that we had grown so fast and may had made an, an impact, small but yet an impact. We were invited to the European MedTech Forum in Brussels. Yeah. And I remember us Googling what the hell MedTech was on the flight there or just prior to the flight there. And yeah. we were keynote speakers. Yeah, they told us, I mean, they, they called us and said, this war on cancer story is inspiring. What you're building is interesting. We want you to come and open up the conference for us. And this was Europe's largest medtech conference. Only we didn't know what medtech meant. <laughs> <laughs> so that was basically the start of war on cancer. There you have it. Yeah, that pretty much sums up the start. And here we are a few years down the line, a couple of iterations back and forth in different directions with the product, the blog platform turning into an app. And today we are live with the War on Cancer app on both App Store and on Play Store. Yeah, should we quickly just cover the, the basic value propositions of the app and what you can expect out of it? Definitely. So the War on Cancer app it is a social network app for everyone affected by cancer. It's free to download and it's live on both the App Store and on the Play Store. And in terms of value propositions, the first thing you're met with is the ability to share your story and know that by doing so, you're helping others. And this is, of course, directly stemming from my experiences with writing and sharing my story in a blog. Secondly, through the app, you're able to find people that can relate to what you're going through. You can search and get matched based on criteria such as diagnosis, relation to cancer, age, gender, uh, but also interests. 
Thirdly, uh, the sense of belonging, because on the app, you will know that everybody understands what it means to go through cancer and that you are not alone. Thus, what we're creating is a safe haven. In essence, this is what I wish that someone had told me existed when I was diagnosed. And this is really what we're creating uh, for the benefit of people throughout the world in the future and as of today. Lastly, and what makes Warren Cancer unique is the ability for our members to engage and participate in health studies. And perhaps, Sebastian, you want to talk more about that. Yeah, so quickly, sort of a rough overview. So health studies is something that we have conceptualized uh, during the past two years. Uh, and essentially what it will enable our users to do is to participate in cancer research and in improvement of cancer care by answering specific questions about their own, not only health, but also their experience in going through cancer. And this will only be done on an opt-in basis. This is something that we will launch within the next couple of months. And uh, we have involved experts from across the whole cancer field, from across the globe, that has made this reality. And we're super excited to talk more about this in a later episode of this podcast. And it will soon go live on the platform as well. Amazing. Amazing. So Fabian, we have covered a lot of our background, purpose in doing this podcast. We have talked about the app, of course, but I would like for our listeners to get an insight into what our vision really is. What does it mean to radically improve the mental health of everyone going through cancer? What's our goal here? Simply put, it's not rocket science. We don't think that the mental health aspect of going through cancer differs or varies much depending on which country you're from. We think, on the contrary, that it's pretty much the same. And that's why we want to try and unite the whole world or as many as possible to use war on cancer and, and by doing so increase their mental health. Also, we want everybody to feel that their journeys matter because they, they will be able to help others. Yeah, it can really give you a sense of purpose and a sense of belonging. Yes. Um, nicely put. So we have come to this part of this recording where we're going to play a little game. And that is, what would you rather? And we started doing this, I think, when we climbed Mount Kenya. Isn't that right? Yeah, I think we're probably not the creators of this the, no, no, the no, game, no, no, no. but for us internally. I have to say, you ask me a stupid question at least twice a day. So yes. we're going to play this game and I'm going to start. So Fabian, what would you rather? Would you rather have baseball bats as arms with no hands or be divorced from a three-year marriage with Joe Exotic and be part of the Tiger King documentary on Netflix? <laughs> Ooh. And you have all the memories from the marriage as well. Yes. Mm. Baseball bats as arms or be the ex-husband of a Joe Exotic and yes. part of the show. It's a tricky one. It's a really good one. I would probably go with being the ex-husband of a Joe Exotic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You don't have to explain why. No. Because I think I would have chosen the same without <laughs> diving too much into the details. <laughs> cool. Okay. So, Sebastian, what would you rather do? 
either have two carrots as legs or go on the London Eye, as in the Ferris wheel in London, yeah. 5,000 laps every year. Oh, that's such a typical question for you because you don't know math. Or you do, but you don't calculate. <laughs> I think the London Eye probably takes 30 minutes or one, and, one or one and a half hours to go through. <laughs> yeah. And there's 24 hours in a day, so 5,000 divided. That's, that's approximately 200 days worth of sitting in the Ferris <laughs> wheel a year. So two-thirds of my life, I would be spending time in that. So it, it all has to do with, will I get food? Uh, definitely, definitely. Cool. Then I would choose uh, carrots as legs, <laughs> as long as they're nicely shaved, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good choice. I would have selected the same. Nice. <laughs> And to conclude this episode, I would just like to say that everything that we do at War on Cancer as a team has to do with the big question that we have asked ourselves for the past five years since Fabian's diagnosis. And that is, what's the big deal with going through cancer and what can we do about it? And we know today that it has a lot to do with the stigma and inherent fear of cancer in society. It has to do with the many cases of PTSD and depression that we see amongst patients under and after treatment today. It has to do with loneliness and unanswered questions about nutrition, exercise, and what does a normal Tuesday with cancer look like. So tune in for the next episode of the War on Cancer podcast. If you're currently going through cancer or have gone through cancer, or if you're a loved one like myself, or someone simply affected by cancer in any way, make sure to download the app, connect with either myself or Fabian, or anyone else of the team, or, of course, any of the members on the War on Cancer app. I'm sure that everybody there are able and willing to help each other. So hopefully you'll find answers to your questions, find inspiration, and hope. Next week, we will invite Amy D. Morris an oncology pharmacist from Canada with vast experience of working with people undergoing treatment. Amy is a breath of fresh air and the fact that she's been through cancer herself gives her a unique perspective. We'll be talking about her interesting journey, how she now gets it, and then channel in on the current corona pandemic. If you want to learn more about our guests, go to waroncancer.com. And as always, you can find both Fabian, myself, and Amy on the War on Cancer app. See you next week. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.